Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast with your host, Mark Kennedy. Uh, this is the Rugby Weekly Podcast Review. Uh, and I have Liam O'Brien, uh, Rugby Resident Pundit and Analyst, uh, with me. And Hello. tonight we're going to review the action, if you can call it action, from the URC Round 13, uh, where we had three Irish provinces wins, one heavy loss for Connacht Rugby. We'll also look at the Bulls with Munster Rugby already down in South Africa to have a preview of that game on Saturday. Look at some marquee contract news uh, from Irish Rugby and conclude with a few Round 4 Six Nations predictions. Liam, how are things? Yeah, brilliant, Mark. Absolutely super now. Good, good, good win in, anyway for Munster at the weekend against Dragons. Yeah, maybe we can go right there, I suppose, Liam. Uh, Munster Rugby 64, the Dragons 3, uh, 10 tries. What were your initial thoughts? On the contest, uh, Liam, what's what stood out for you? Well, my initial thoughts was it was it was no contest really. <laughs> After about twenty minutes, it was it was all over. But um, yeah, look, I mean, you'd have to take away the the, the good performances of the likes of Casey and Farrell and Chris Clote. Like they really stood up, like power powerfully stood up um, at times. Some beautiful tries. Played at a very good tempo. I think that that's what that's what stood out for me with Munster. Like we just played at a tempo that we haven't played in a lot of our games. Maybe that was the, the opposition allowed us to almost to play rugby, but certainly we haven't played rugby like that this season. Yeah, certainly, yeah, Liam, because I thought rock ball time, as in Chris Clyde there, was superb. I thought back row-wise were to a man. They really dominated the breakdown area and gave Casey Crowley enough of time to orchestrate there particularly. I mean, some of the stats are pretty revealing here. I know Graham Roundtree in his press conference said that Munster were eager to secure the five points uh, out of this game. Give respect to the Dragons, but there was a sense of urgency in this re- performance. And as you say, after 20 minutes, this game was well and truly over. But I think some of the stats here, 14 offloads, 38 defenders beaten, 21 clean breaks. And I suppose culminating in probably, for me, the marquee try, the third try from Jack O'Donoghue. I thought that was probably the try of the season so far for Munster Rugby. Yeah, yeah. Sensational stuff. And, you know, when you see the likes of Farrell and, and Haley, like, you know, running so well. Um, and, yeah, Jack Dunahue, he, he's always there, isn't he? He's he's uh, almost, his game is getting more complete uh, with each passing, passing season. And he, again, has been with the pick of the back rows this season. But for me, actually, the, funny enough, the, the try that stood out was the one after half time, the Casey quick tap to, to Zebo, you know. That, oh, yes, yeah. Because for me, it, it what's well, the way it stands out is the contrast with 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 Murray. That like uh, now, Casey is definitely really putting the pressure on him. Like you know, as a real life option as well. And 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 it's it's almost as if you know Casey can dictate that quick tempo. And 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 it's surprise surprise when the halfbacks dictate the tempo. Then usually that's that's how you can play at that level, you know. Like he had a stellar game, Casey, from minute one, was so prominent, so involved. You know the two early tries, but as you say, if you give this guy a quick rock ball, I mean, there's no better player a scrum half in this country than Craig Casey to really create your your attacking with with some speedy distribution of the rock. I suppose are we kind of a Murray Casey camp sort of? It's probably nice selection. Uh, Poles are here for Johan van Graan, Graham Roundtree, and Stephen Larkin probably heading into that extra chief games because I mean, in Conor Murray's defence, has had precious little game time, but Casey, when he's been provided the cameos, has really impressed. So 
I'm going to be very fascinated here, Liam, in terms of what Van Grand does, particularly in the two-legged affair against Exeter Chiefs in a few weeks' time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the bench, it's, it's very funny. The, the Munster bench will be quite strong, actually, even if you were to just look, say, look, Casey as an impact player, um, Hodnett, Kendellan. Uh, I, I won't mention Jenkins, really. But, um, yeah, those guys coming in are, you know, are going to make serious impact off the bench anyway. Yeah, and I mean, we're looking for this going in. Again, essentially now Munster are into the business end of the season. Their schedule is really dictating it. These are no more give me games. You could maybe argue maybe Bennett on rugby in a few weeks is. But apart from that, the schedule is absolutely stacked. The teams that they're facing now are real marquee elite teams. And to be perfectly fair for Frank Grant, he's looking for guys to really be pushing for the 23-man squad and even get into the starting 15. And I suppose we've talked about Mike Haley here um, in terms of his contributions. And I think they've been progressive in the last season or two. But this year particularly... I've kind of seen a marked change in Haley in terms of when he hits the line from full back. He's making good things happen. And I mean, we can say all we want about the Dragons, but again, the opposition was there. I mean, the stats speak for themselves. He ran for 100 metres, seven defenders beaten, five offloads. And, you know, he, he was an assist on a few of the tries as well. I mean, it's a great thing for Munster to have Haley at full back, providing more of an attacking dimension coming in from deep. Yeah, Haley, look, what a question is Munster's fullback now, like absolutely head and shoulders. And what I have to say in his defence actually is it wasn't just the Dragons game. He's actually been all season, huge yardage, huge metres made and and been involved in, in creating tries. So this has been right the way through for him, as opposed to some of the other backline players. He's been consistently good right the way through the season. I mean, I don't know what we can say to the Dragons, Dean Ryan. And he's coaching staff after that. That was a complete horror show. I suppose after about 30 minutes, they wanted the whistle probably to blow. My thoughts immediately turned to JJ Hanrahan after his decision to switch to the Dragons next season. Oh, God, I hope he didn't watch that match because like, there was line breaks, there was defensive misreads. They were just completely and utterly comprehensively beaten. And uh, if he does, like he is joining there next season, but this looks like a long, long-term project here. Uh, for Hanrahan, um, I, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just worried for the player in terms of signing for a club of this magnitude. Really, it, it just doesn't look, it doesn't fit. I don't think. Yeah, no. What 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 I I struggled to think about was did uh, Dragons actually make it past the 22 in the entire game? <laughs> like genuinely, I actually can't think of a a moment they did really. So that's that's quite bad. There, there might have been once where they got a kick kick to the corner maybe. Um, for line out, but that, that's all I can think of. An open play, they offered absolutely nothing. But you know, I mean, you can only play what's up against you, and it's good form going to South Africa. You know, they kind of almost opened up in their play. Exactly, and they will have to do that at certain stages, uh, particularly against the Bulls and also the Lions in the next few weekends. And we will preview that in the next few minutes. I suppose, Liam, the other marquee story, I mean, Leinster put 61 points past Bennett on rugby in Italy. Ulster, but Robert Balacone, James Hume, Nick Timoney, dominant in a 48-12 game against win against Cardiff Blues, where Dyer Young described that as the worst performance since he's taken over as Cardiff Blues head coach. But I suppose the marquee headline from an Irish province perspective is what happened in Edinburgh on Friday night. After about 25 minutes here, Connacht were 8-0 up. 
and looked to be well in the game. And then thereafter, 56 points unanswered from Edinburgh. Liam, I know you watched the game along with myself. How do Connacht rebound from a result like that? It's, it's hard to see, isn't it? Like, it really is. I mean, I know it was away from home, you know, against against uh, Edinburgh. But, like, it puts Munster's performance against Edinburgh, where we got a four-tripona's point win <laughs> into perspective, you know. So, um, but look, I mean, sometimes, yeah, look, in Edinburgh, when they get quick ruck ball, um, um, in terms of, uh, yeah, I thought just kind of were blown away in terms of the back row as well, I have to say. I thought they were, they were blown a bit. No real control whatsoever in the half back line either, I must say. Yeah, because it was a good start. I mean, Sullivan scores a great try, it's 8 0. There is also a yellow card to the Edinburgh number eight for high enough hit. Um, but then I think it's a defensive nightmare. Liam, from start to finish, there's a few misreads. Now, if you're coming out of the defensive line, you need to be doing something. And unfortunately, if you like to Caelan Blade, uh, I think also Sammy Arnold as well, there's one or two of them that were absolutely caught rotten in terms of defensive line. And no better team than Edinburgh to spot a clean line break. I mean, during the, I'm going to call it like for the last 50 minutes, they had 13 clean breaks. I mean, Blair Kinghorn at 10 seems to, seemed to go into a different level, different gear, orchestrate an awful lot in terms of his passing and attacking moves. And as you say, Buffelli was phenomenal. And I thought Immelman as well, at fullback, really did provide hard yards. I think he had about 150 metres gained, complete, uh, complete now for him to try four clean breaks. But it seemed it was one-way traffic, as you say, Liam. I think back row-wise, it was completely a a route and uh, good things happened for Edinburgh. And we've seen that particularly against Munster in Tolan Park, when you give them the space and freedom to basically attack and execute, they're one of the best teams in the league and so approved. Yeah. I mean, they absolutely are. Uh, certainly of the non-Irish teams there. I mean, they, I, I, I think, I think Edinburgh are like definitely better than, than Glasgow. Yeah. They're, they're up there with, with Ulster as well. So, it's in terms of the overall. This was, you know, another key loss really for for Connacht because for the rest of the season in the position that they're in points wise, you're 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 going to have now the South African teams, three of those teams probably coming up the side and overtaking them. So I mean, they're probably not even going to finish in the in the top eight now. I think it's Stuart Life from particularly when I go down to South Africa, they'll need results. They're going to be familiarity with contempt with Leinster Rugby in the next few weeks as well. They have enough. They've a tall fixture list. This is the one thing about the provinces right now, uh, particularly Ulster, Munster. They do have tough fixture run-ins. And I think that is a key loss for Connacht, particularly after some early season losses, particularly at home to the Dragons. When you compare Dragons, you know, last weekend to when they were in Connacht and sports ground uh, rampaging through Connacht, it's just that inconsistency of performance. When Connacht are on, they're competitive. When they're not, they're absolutely getting absolutely, you know, smashed to smithereens here. And again, it's there has to be a bit of a quick regroup because if you look at the Champions Cup, they've their last 16 two-legged tie against Leinster Rugby. And they really have to kind of find a performance from somewhere now um, going into that. But uh, yeah, for Edinburgh, it was a 
you know, welcome win for them. I know they've had a bit of a doddy patch in terms of losses to Leinster, lost to Munster as well. So they're back in the playoff mix here considerably here. But uh, yeah, it's a kind of a, one of those kind of bad marquee nights for Connacht rugby again. Um, I thought the Dragons' loss at home was probably rock bottom. This has effectively is rock bottom. Um, just given, uh, I don't want to say capitulation, but 56 points, you know, even when it got to 30 points, you know, just hold your ground, manage it, the game as well, and truly up, just save face. But Edinburgh continued to spin the phases, and, you know, again, they found soft spots in that defence. Um, so, again, um, a night to forget for Connacht. So, yeah, Liam, I suppose we could literally move swiftly on to the Bulls. Uh, I mean, Munster Rugby are already down in South Africa, as we said at the start of the podcast. The Bulls, I think, will represent a considerable challenge to Munster in terms of physicality, the the environment, Loftus versus Feld, which is 1,300 metres above sea level. But what are your initial thoughts? I know, Liam, you're a passionate supporter of the South African team as well and clubs. What's your initial read on the Bulls in terms of how they've been doing the season and players to probably watch out for on Saturday? Well, look, I mean, I mean, they're third in the log in terms of the four, the four South African sides, and you'd have to say deservedly so, you know. Um, even though the the Sharks are, you know, top of the log there, you probably would have to say that the Stormers actually have been <laughs> South Africa's top team, certainly against when they've played against Irish opposition, even you know against Munster and uh, Connacht, they, they, they've actually stood out. But uh, in terms of the Bulls, um, powerful mauling side, you know, um, you're certainly going to get that. You're going to get plenty of, of line-out mauls. They have some really good back, really great back row, obviously. You know, we know Arnold Bota and uh, Kutsia. And then they have this guy, Elric Lowe, at number eight. He is like a highly rated number eight uh, for the future. In terms of the back line, Kurt Lierense at 15 is just real quality player. Um, you have Cornell Hendricks uh, on the wing, a guy who actually was a springbok, um, was advised in 2015 to actually have a heart condition to give up rugby and he came back three years later. So that's that's quite a good story as well. They're managed, of course, by Jake White, who has been successful with the Springboks and uh, then went on to Montpellier. They're going to provide a real stiff opposition for us. I mean, it can't be understated. <laughs> the last 20 minutes of that game, <laughs> uh, when you're when you're playing at that, that level, at altitude, how it's going to affect players. I think for the side, the squad that Munster Rugby have, I think this will be a baptism of fire for quite a few of them in terms of the brand of rugby which they are going to face in the next two weekends and particularly playing above sea level it's a different level of game in terms of your intensity the physicality and also kind of you know your kicking game has to be so spot on here just given the way the ball will travel miles and miles i mean kind of going back to the bulls i did have a good look at the zebra rugby game now you can argue here, podcast viewers, that it was every rugby last weekend, but I think it probably shows a pattern of play here that we're going to see on Saturday. And I mean, they won 45-7. They had a very slow start lean. Again, Zebri opened scoring with a lovely work try. Their pack had one of the rare success malls and they created line space outside for their out half to get in under the post. 
Now, from then on, it was all bulls. And as you rightly say, Liam, pack platform, Paramount, the mall started to dominate. Grobelard looks an absolute powerful unit, a beast of a man in terms of um, he got the ball rolling with the first um, bulls try. Arenze, as you said, my God, he's a super player. You know, he's line speed, just his clean breaks during the game were nothing short and phenomenal. Same with Mapu as well. Again, Kutze was linking play effortlessly between the pack and the forwards and the backs uh, seamlessly. Again, they weren't the task here and had Zebri under the pump in the third quarter and didn't let go, essentially. Um, they had six tries, I believe, uh, during the game. And Chris Smith looks a very able number 10 as well. Uh, I don't know if Morning Stain will be back uh, for the game on Saturday, uh, Liam. But uh, again, Chris Smith did provide an awful lot of good moments here in attacking play. And also his kicking seemed to be outstanding as well. Yeah, yeah. He certainly seems like a player for the future. Yeah, Morning Stain, of course, was uh, <laughs> was sent off. <laughs> and, and that's why he wasn't available last last two games. So yeah, he will be... He will be likely in the squad, all right, for for Saturday, in the mix. And I mean, I mean, this guy, Morningstein, he he can kick from anywhere. A phenomenal, phenomenal goal kicker. I suppose ask Warren Gatland all about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll he want um, to get that. But yeah, I think it'll be a fascinating watch because I think United Rugby Championship, being the fledging league that it is, after the weekend that we've just had, which have had an awful lot of cricket scores. I'm hoping that Munster can turn up and be competitive. This is a new fledging market for the league. Um, and if the South African fans can see a very competitive game, see Munster in a good light, positive light here, uh, there's no reason that South African fans will basically roll behind this uh, competition. And as you say, Liam, as the season progresses now, the South African teams are effectively at home now. So you would expect an awful lot of home wins here against teams that will be travelling down to South Africa. I think this would be a great experience for the, the young monster squad that's out there. The likes of the likes of the Kelly O'Connor, Buckley, Pendellen, Pognet probably will revel in these conditions. Uh, but as you say, the bench is going to be tested massively with 30 minutes to go because I think players will fatigue um, much quicker in the altitude. And it will be very interesting to see how that monster pack do compare against Bulls, particularly would have been a very first choice pack that uh, Jake White has to select from. Yeah, um, and and like we we look, we're we're a bit short in in some positions. Like now with the call of Jeremy Lockman, um, good good for him to get the call to Ireland. But now we're kind of down to certainly our third choice um, in Witcherly, and also it looks thin enough in Locke as well, where we have Finneen and we have Jean Klein, and then. Uh, Seems to be Owen O'Connor seems to be the only other lock really there. But um, yeah, but in in terms of I I I I, I fancy that it, that we will have a really close game for the most part. I could see certainly um, the Munster outhouse as well. You know, love to see Crowley playing in that sort of conditions as well. Oh, exactly, and I think the good news that Damien Delende has was joining the Munster Rugby Party as well for these games, a massive boost as well. And when you consider like of Dan Goggin, Chris Farrell, they've all been playing very well in recent weeks. You know, Delende will obviously make an introduction here at some point against the Bulls if he's fit. All I'm looking for for Munster here is have a real serious cut at it. 
And I think with some of the back row options that we have here, uh, Liam, I think breakdown work could be a pretty fascinating watch, particularly with likes of Cuts uh, and both are there. They're very experienced guys, but uh, the young guns like Hodnett, Dellen, as you say, Chris Kleiter is probably going to be there in some shape or form. Jack O'Donoghue, again, Munster won't be phased by going here. I think they'll embrace the challenge here of this tour to South Africa. I know December was an unmitigated disaster in terms of the first run, but again, this is now kind of getting the experience into an awful lot of the younger players, I would say. And also the senior players really provide that leadership. I mean, like John Klein as well, Chris Kloyte, Damon Delende. They know everything that needs to be known about South Africa and particularly the head coach, Johan van Grand as well. Going back to the Bulls, he's on the matter club, really. Um, so we shouldn't be short in terms of preparation here. So I'm eagerly looking forward to this, even more so than Six Nations games, to be perfectly honest with you, Dean. Cause I, yeah, I'm actually, I, I'm actually thinking of going to the pub for this game, actually, believe it or not. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's... 2.05, isn't it, on Saturday? Um, so so 4.05, 4.05 p.m. Yeah, so, so I think it's, um, yeah, I think that's a fascinating watch because if we can get a nice, competitive, exciting brand of fixture here, can you imagine the following week, the Lions, you know, against Munster? It's really to build a fan base up there, in, in down there in South Africa. And if we can get these very competitive games, you know, I think the South African fans are, some are sitting on the fence a little bit in terms of the URC, but if they can see quality fixtures where you have teams coming in like Munster really delivering performances, the the eyes and ears are going to be really pricked up here for South African teams to say, right, next season's going to be a completely different ball game and the fans will roll behind that. So, um, yeah, I think that's one to really kind of look forward to as well. And best of luck to Munster Rugby there um, as they embark on that tour. I suppose, Liam, we can probably go on to contract news. One probably banner headline, uh, Mr. Johnny Sexton uh, committing to Rugby World Cup in 2023 and then retiring. Uh, what were your thoughts um, on that contract extension news? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean... It was quite clear that he's head and shoulders above all the other candidates at out half. I suppose, look, it now ends the speculation as to when he's going to retire. It's quite clear now. And that's probably put to bed. In terms of the World Cup, then, it just means he will have to be managed after the Six Nations, you know, between the, the tour to New Zealand and Autumn Internationals and other games before the World Cup. So decisions are going to have to be made for the likes of New Zealand, how you use him. Probably likely that you you start him in the first test, <laughs> your best chance of winning, and then you basically have him benched for, for other games. He is still, you'd have to say, in the top out halves in the world. This game coming up against England is going to be fascinating to see the, the, the new heir apparent on the block, Marcus Smith. Can he really control a game like like this at international level, but um yeah Sexton he, he's in good shape too it has to be said he's in he's he's in quite good shape he can absolutely flourish between the World Cup yeah I completely agree with him and I mean he is our marquee player isn't he I think the case study was shown against Italy in round three of the Six Nations uh, we had a kind of a hit and miss attacking performance before he arrived on the pitch. Then he arrives in and you could see him demanding the ball, ordering players around the place, getting into position. He still is our, I would regard him, our MVP in terms of 
halfback um, options at number 10. Um, now, it's not saying a whole pile, I think, for the rest of the guys that we don't have. It doesn't seem to me, Liam, that we have a, a viable challenger right now for one reason or another. I mean, maybe it's unfair to say because Carberry has been out of out injured for a significant amount of time. Jack Carty, maybe Farrell doesn't kind of rate him. Um, are we looking at some of the young guns then uh, from the other provinces? I mean, you have Jack Crowley, Ben Healy, um, you know, Munster. Could you convert Nathan Doak? Well, Doak was playing 10 for the under-20s um, to really kind of come in there. I suppose if you want to call it probably long-term, was it Paddy Jackson was probably the heir apparent to Sexton. But I think we all know what happened there. So I think for Andy Farrell and his management team, there is still a massive job to identify backup 10 depth chart and I think the New Zealand tour definitely as you say maybe start Sexton in the first test game but he's going to have to give an opportunity to guys that they think are within the fringes or look to be the successor to Sexton after 2023 yeah I don't know your thoughts there uh, Liam just in terms of our 10 depth chart at the moment is there anyone there that's not in the squad that should be really kind of looking looking at right now I mean, I mean, you, you could you could possibly look at Kieran Frawley, who's just a genuinely good footballer, you know. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the next option, then is certainly the, the Munster guys. And uh, I know you know, it might be like a meteoric <laughs> promotion, but I mean, I I think they're capable of definitely of doing it. What I'd be thinking of if we just pretty much accept the Sexton is is there is he actually needs a quick nine. No offense to to Murray, but he, he he really does need a kind of a a Casey or or even a a Doak um, alongside him. I, I I would even think in terms of keeping the opposition honest as well, having a a kind of good ball playing twelve as well could 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 be an option as well in in certain games as well. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think probably Ross and Harry Byrne probably come into the mix as well, don't they? In terms of the ten battle as well, you know, which will be an intriguing watch as well, but. I don't think this is a get-out card for Irish management right now in terms of the 10 situation. They still have to plan for life without Sexton. And in fairness to Sexton, he's now provided or committed now to October 2023 at least anyway. So we do still have, dare I say, 18 months still left on that. Uh, but it will be an interesting watch in terms of the Irish management and how the game managed Sexton now, you know, given... He is going to retire after the World Cup 2023. They're going to be looking for that guy to really kind of come in and be the successor. So that could be a fascinating watch, particularly when we get to the Autumn International Series, particularly when we get into the next Six Nations in 2023. But again, Sexton does seem to be head and shoulders above anything right now. And I think it's been great news for the Irish rugby team and Irish supporters. Moving on swiftly along, uh, Liam, in terms of contract news, Comet have been for me, have had a, a decent few weeks in terms of acquisitions. Josh Murphy from Leinster Rugby was probably a standout. But now there's a few key renewals of likes of John Porch, Jared Butler, uh, Matt Burke, uh, Tom Daly, but also Peter Dooley's capture today um, for next season. Significantly increases that depth chart, particularly in the front row area. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, Peter Dooley and, and Adam Byrne. Peter Dooley, like, is over 100, if I'm right, 100 caps for um, for Leinster, yeah? Mm. And he's actually rated by a lot of people as better than Byrne, who's been kept on, you know, as the, the ba- as one of the backup 
uh, props at Leinster. So I think that's a smashing bit of business altogether, actually. Yeah, like I remember Dooley in an AIL final against Cork Con, where he absolutely ruled the roost, man of the match award. And I thought, the sky's the limit with this guy. And it just never has happened for from a Leinster perspective. Now, granted, like sort of, you know, the front row depth chart in Leinster is phenomenal, but still I would have thought that the Burn native would have gotten a bit more of crack of the whip um, in there. So I have to applaud him. It would be easy to stay around on a winning camp, winning team. He's looking to progress his career. And again, Connacht Rugby has that brand of rugby, which I think would attract an awful lot of players to the province. And I know the Adam Byrne kind of signing, I think Bernard Jackman had kind of let that out of the bag maybe a few days ago. I, I haven't really seen anything official there, but that's another significant acquisition if they can get that uh, just to basically boost the squad depth and really push on the competition and standards in the team, team really. And I think the John Porter one, you know, the, the he's a very popular player within um, sports grounds here and uh, it's great to see him committing to at least another season uh, with Connacht. Leinster have been doing a little bit of business as well, um, likes of Osborne, Foley, McCarthy, Deeney, and also there's been a whole host of player renewals as well, uh, likes of Deegan, Hugo Keenan, you know, again, the young base of the squad here that's going to lead this province um, for years to come. I mean, it's a very solid foundation that they're building on the back of the news that McDawson's CEO for Leinster is set to retire at the end of the season. But again, solid foundations there, uh, Liam, uh, for more domination from Leinster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> unlike other teams like the Kilkenny's and the Dubs, <laughs> Leinster really do look like they have the production line going to the, the, the next decade, you know. Look, it's up to everyone else to try and, and get up to that standards. And it is it is good to have a team at that standard, you know. And all, all, also, you have to say that at an international level, you will all, often find that a, a star club side is pretty much the, the backbone of the international team. You know, again, it's that time of year where locking down, particularly the, the young prospects are the guys that are really stepped up in the last season or two. They're young age profile, early 20s, mid 20s, to get them to basically commit long term. I think it's... Um, it's a testament to Leinster Rugby, again, their foresight in terms of their long-term strategy. It's all good there. Um, Munster Rugby, then, there has been a few kind of contract news. Patterson, Kelly, O'Connor, Buckley and Kandelan all getting kind of contract extensions here. Uh, what were your thoughts there, Liam? Yeah, well, I mean, what stands out for me is definitely Scott Buckley, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think I think he really is a, a prospect to, to be to be starting for Munster next season. That's that's how good I rate him. Um, Kandelan, you know, another phenomenal talent for, for in the back row. Um, Patterson, yeah, really, really like the way, the way he plays the game as well. And then, of course, Matt Gallagher actually is going the other way. Matt Gallagher is going to, to Bath Rugby. Yes, the first of, uh, hopefully not many, going of joining Johan van Graan at Bath Rugby next season. I suppose no real surprise. I mean, his initial cameos look promising, but he has been blighted by injury, it would be fair to say here, Liam. You know, unfortunately, and I think the player and you know is taking the decision now to look for a new chapter uh, at Bath Rugby and with Johan van Graan being the head coach, I think, familiarity there as well so it's probably a good move for Matt Gallagher and may, should get game minutes yeah and then we're all, all we're left with in terms of uh, undecided maybe is, is is Chris Clote so that, that that that's interesting you know 
he suddenly reminded us in that game of of, of what an actual having an actual seven <laughs> is because we've a lot of kind of you know sixes and eights in Munster. Yeah, and particularly this time of year as well, Liam. And we're going to see it in full effect here, particularly down in South Africa. The fast track conditions, dry pitches, the game's going to considerably speed up, and it's pivotal to have uh, you know a marquee seven in your side really to provide that breakdown work that you need uh, to win and create turnover ball. So I think we'll see that in full effect. Now, I'd, I'd expect maybe a decision or a news release on Chris Cloyte after the Lions um, fixture. And that would be kind of a, maybe a week to two weeks out from the Exeter Chiefs game. But we haven't heard anything about Damien Delende here as well, which uh, I wonder when that will be released. You know, we've heard various other cameos in terms of other players and, uh, uh, coming and going. Moving swiftly so on from the contract I'd imagine news, in the next two weeks, uh, we'll three weeks, we may get a few predictions from you, Liam, on, on in terms of the Six guys. Nations round four. Uh, we start on Friday night with Wales entertaining Grand Slam, hopefuls France. Uh, England entertaining Ireland and Italy uh, hosting Scotland in Rome. I suppose, Liam, uh, what's your verdict on those matches? Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, Wales, France. That's quite fascinating, actually. So it's always probably, to me, one of the most open games in the championship every year. Um, and it's definitely like a potential banana skin for France going to, going to play Wales uh, at the weekend. Uh, more so than funny enough than actually finishing up at home to England, in my view. Yeah, uh, Wales, maybe they'll have some of their, their guys back, some of the, the, the old older players back for that game. Um, but France, you know, France, I still think France could get maybe a, a bonus point win even, you know. Um, I can see them getting the four tries in that game. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating one because we've kind of said in this podcast in recent weeks, there is that banana skin game, isn't there, uh, for France? And I think, as you say here, Liam, minds will be focused on the job next weekend in Paris against England. No shortage of motivation there. But yeah, it's just a formidable side that France are now building here uh, ahead of the World Cup next year. And we, we've commented in terms of Scotland being a bit defensively porous. But let's be brutally honest about it. France were in the mood uh, for minute one uh, last week. And they really did kind of um, secure that bonus point win in Murrayfield. And I suppose the big news there is Antoine um, Dupont is deemed fit enough to be named in the starting 15, uh, which is good. Now, Damien Penno, who we've been raving about, uh, is being left out uh, and missing out due to a COVID-19 positive test. But again, this team is stacked it's absolutely stacked with quality. As you've said here, uh, Liam, it's going to be an interesting watch in terms of Jonathan Davis comes back into three courts for Wales, which I think is probably required, uh, just given his impact off the bench against England. Uh, I just worry for Wales a little bit. Now, not from a front five perspective uh, overall, but I think their line-out has been a bit hit and miss and... No better team than France to start, um, you know, preying on those vulnerabilities early here. Um, so I think big onus here on Ryan Elias and his line-out unit really to secure go-forward ball. Um, I think France will win, Liam. Couldn't long story short here. I think they'll win, but bonus point, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, I think Wales 
have a good performance in them. I did. I was very impressed by Wales defensively against England in round three. And this will be a significant test for Wales in ter- or France in terms of their uh, attacking uh, line speed. Uh, again, Wales defensively are superb and they do have a very few noted back row players there in the likes of Josh Navidi, Falatel, uh, Seb Davis as well. So I'll go for it, France, but I don't think bonus point here. I think it'll be evenly poised going into uh, uh, the final weekend. Uh, England, Ireland, uh, Liam, who are you thinking? Uh, from a rugby analytical perspective here and not heart and head sort of stuff. Yeah, well, the bookies never go through on, do they? So I, th- I think I think they're even coming on to the fact that, that Ireland could be uh, slight favourites for this game. And I think that's, that's possibly on, on the money, you know. Um, I, I don't think England have been impressive in their Six Nations games to date. And they're obviously trying to try a different style of rugby, but it's not quite working out for them. I do look at some of the, some of the Saris guys, particularly like Itoji. I don't think he's ever come back to to the level uh, he was at, say, the, the pre the Lions tour. Um, and when I see, you know, the informed players that are going up against, the, the question really for Ireland is: Do we beef up the, the the pack a bit? You know, do we bring in someone like Henderson? And if we bring him in, who who do we bring him in for? Do we bring him in for Ty Byrne or James Ryan? Um, certainly in terms of our front row, uh, I think I think man for man, you could you could argue they're they're maybe more powerful. Um, and again, England of course will bring power in the back row, um, and we probably would be unchanged. Um, again, there's probably an option there to put Ty Byrne at six and bring in Henderson into the second row as well um so who who are you picking after all that uh, I, I i will actually go and this isn't reluctantly this is kind of confidently enough uh with uh ireland plus what, four points yeah i'm kind of going with you as well because i think ireland should be embracing favoritism favoritism tag here uh completely uh given their performances in the last six to six months has been superb um, now, the French result was, you know, a disappointment, but they did um, have to deal with adversity in that test match and may have had an opportunity to win it. You know, we talked about, you know, the penalty, not going for the line, uh, that sort of thing. So I think from that perspective, I think it's another good asset test for Andy Farrell and the Irish team, particularly going to a marquee ground. I mean, traditionally, England, France have been a notoriously difficult place for Ireland to get results. But the only thing I would fear for Ireland would be the physicality and the power and the defensive line speed that England are going to produce and deliver on Saturday. I think there is a renewed focus in the English camp to really kind of get things right against Ireland. They do rate Ireland an awful lot. I think you take away the Eddie Jones pre-match comments, there is an acceptance and there is a recognition that Ireland are a well-drilled, cohesive side and it will only require a top-notch performance from England to get a result. So I'm expecting the best of England. Now, they've done, I think, everything well, apart from being in the opposition's way too, in terms of their attacking, um, you know, attacking options and tactics. You know, and they certainly have good ball winners there. But again, it's that question you 
alluded to here at the start of the podcast about Marcus Smith. He's going to be put under massive pressure by Ireland here. Um, the focal point has been Marcus Smith in the last three Six Nations games. I can see Ireland really kind of honing in on him and maybe having to get Elliot Daly and maybe Henry Slade from England's perspective to become playmakers because I think Smith, this is do or die for him. I think this game and also the French game next weekend really will confirm whether he is the successor to the crown to Owen Farrell um, at 10. So for me, I'm, yeah, I'll be with you. I think four points win for Ireland. I think there will be some tough moments moments here. I think England pack-wise are still a very abrasive unit and may pose problems for us, particularly in the scrum time. But I would be kind of confident that Ireland could quell that storm. And England haven't finished out games well. You know, the Welsh game, particularly the last 30 minutes in round three, was a bit alarming for them in terms of when the bench came on from Wales. They added a bit more attacking with England seemed to really fall off tackles a bit and defensive misreads were a bit predominant. So, yeah, for me, Ireland by four points, but I think it hopefully will be a cracker for anyone that's going to Twickenham. And then finally, Italy v Scotland, uh, uh, Liam, I suppose two teams coming in with uh, low morale. Yeah, definitely. It's a wooden spoon time again. Scotland, uh, Van der Merwe is out, I think, for this game. Which um, is a bit, of a bit of a blow, in all fairness, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, with with, with Italy, even in the Ireland game, defensively, you know, they were quite solid. And <laughs> Scotland could get really into a dogfight in this game. I really believe that can happen, you know. So I mean, if I was calling it, I I I would say say probably Scotland plus seven points. It, you know, it, it, I know it's always Italy's best opportunity for a win is against Scotland, but I can't see it happening. To me, I think they're going to run Scotland pretty close, particularly that Scottish pack has been decimated by injuries. And France, again, they prey on your pack vulnerabilities first and foremost. And yeah, again, from Darge's perspective, it was baptism fire. I thought he was prominent, but again, the rest of his pack were obliterated. Yeah, I think Italy defensively have been good. They're going to have a change at nine. I know Varney is out. No, maybe not necessarily a bad thing because he has dropped a few clangers in this championship so far. But I think it'll be nip and tuck. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how Scotland react after that Scot- uh, that French loss. I would go marginally with Scotland, but I think it could be very hard work for them. I would probably say seven, ten points eventually. But I think there's going to be a little bit of nervy moments here, because I think Italy are definitely going to come with a game plan uh, to really unhinge Scotland, particularly back three-wise now. Duhan van der Merve, as you said, got his red card for Worcester against London Irish last weekend. He's out for the rest of the tournament. And uh, yeah, that back three is going to be, I think there's going to be an area of bombardment there in the first 20, 25 minutes to really test them out. And I think Italy might have a bit of joy uh, on that route. Uh, but I'll go Scotland, just purely because of Finn Russell, um, you know, conjuring up some playmaking magic at vital times uh, to win that for uh, for Scotland. Uh, so yeah, Liam, we leave it at that. Another lengthy one here, but I think we had plenty to kind of get through. Many thanks for your time, uh, Liam, uh, for the last few weeks and tonight. And perhaps we'll come back again next week to review uh, the round four Six Nations and see how good or bad our predictions were. Yep, th- thanks for talking. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon. Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. 
You can also follow me at Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.